How is everyone today? Even though it's raining, you're still good? Good. That's the mark of it being a good Sunday. So we are currently on Lesson 11, and I need to start off by issuing you all an apology. Before I volunteered to do this particular lesson, the men of the church had a full song and dance number planned out because the title is I Am Loved, I Am Pretty. So Sherman had plans with Stephen to wear like sequins and George is going to do a little dance number and stuff and sing the I Feel Pretty, Oh So Pretty song. And I blame the fact that it's not happening on George being gone. So that's your fault, sweetheart. I love you. No, but it's, it's going to be good, and I do not want the guys to tune out because this is not just a little fluff piece to make girls feel nice about themselves. There's a lot for everyone in this message, so we're going to get past the title, and maybe if you're good, I'll sing it at the end, but probably not. Um, but it's called I Am Loved, I Am Pretty by Don Crow, and it says, One day, Michael came into my office to tell me some very confidential information about one of his students. As I was lecturing in one of my sessions at Karis Bible College, it appeared that Patricia was writing herself some notes on her legal pad. I'm assuming Patricia was his student. Her notes contained these statements. I am loved. I am pretty. Patricia was also the kind of person that always dressed in a way that brought attention to herself. The real reason that Patricia expressed these words was the fact that she didn't feel loved or pretty, but felt rejected and unloved. As humans, we all have the same basic needs, the desire to be loved, to be accepted and valued, as well as having a sense of worth and knowing that we are right with God. And we've been talking about this for at least two or three weeks now, about the fact that we are made right with God. Good, sir? Pause. Technical difficulties here at Boomerang. Thank you. Chris Bivens wants Brian to chop my ear off, but Peter wasn't allowed to do it, so I don't think Pastor Brian is either. (laughs) I had my hair cut yesterday. A lot of religion today makes us feel unloved, not valued, and not accepted. One of the greatest strongholds that Satan uses against believers is the feeling of guilt and condemnation, while all along making us feel quite spiritual about it. And I know for me that that's really true. When I first started my relationship with God back when I was a teenager, I would hear all the time about how we were sinners and how we just did all this stuff against God. And we needed Jesus because we were just such horrible, dirty, rotten sinners. And that's still something that's being preached today, not in this church, but it's still something that's being preached today, that you need Christ because of how broken and gross and dirty and awful you are. And it's being preached from the pulpit. So that's how I took it was, I'm never going to be good enough for God, but praise God, he sent Christ to at least make me okay. You know, and so many people think of it that way. Here's a question. How many of you, when you first came to Jesus, were told that not only did he love you, but by accepting him, he would become your perfect righteousness? 
See, that's a totally different message right there. It's not you're dirty. It's not you're broken. It's not you missed it. Christ is better than you. It's Christ died so that you could become his perfect righteousness, so that you could have the glory of God manifest in you, so that he could dwell inside of you. That's a totally different thing, and it's a completely different mindset. It goes from being oppressed and being almost victimized by the decisions you made before you understood the fact that God loved you to being lifted up even at your darkest moments and being told that God loved you even then and wanted you even at that time. It's a totally different message. In fact, the righteousness God would supply would be all the righteousness you would ever need. In 1 Corinthians 30, it says, and this is in the King James, but of him are ye in Christ. You know what? I'm not going to read it in the King James. I'm going to flip over in the New American Standard. And I'm going to read it there. Because last night I was trying to read King James and it just was not working out for me. My mind was not computing it. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the good news of the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the few first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Romans 1, 16 through 17. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Romans 4, 5. God did not call us to have faith in faith or faith for stuff, but a confident, reliant, dependent trust upon him. And then this, this little tiny snippet is so powerful. God can't love you more than he already does. Period. The end. Done. Done. In your worst moments, in your best moments, when you're at rock bottom, when you're at the top of the mountain, he loves you the same. So you can't earn it. You can't, you can't, you can't. He is love. But you can, you can receive it more, feel it more, and experience it more. The more you believe it, the more you will find yourself loving God. The scripture says we love him because he first loved us. And it says, think about this, believe it, and receive it. Now, as I've been thinking on the lesson this week, when Pastor Tracy Harris was here, I had picked up one of his teachings, and I've been meditating on it a lot. And it really kind of ties in. And I want to go back to the first paragraph about this woman who was in this class writing down, I am loved, I am pretty. I am loved, I am pretty. Now, somewhere in her life, she got the notion in her head that she wasn't. Somewhere along the way, someone could have told her that she wasn't. Something could have happened to break her heart and just crush her self-esteem. Somewhere, Satan stole that piece of joy and that piece of who God was inside of her and replaced it with fear. 
See, if we're not thinking that we're valued enough to be loved by God, it's because we're afraid that we're not. It's because that part of ourselves with God has been disconnected. Because she's looking at her past. See, when we don't feel like we're valuable, like we're worth anything, when we don't feel in the natural that we are righteous, it's because we're looking back on who we were. It's because we're looking back on what we've done. It's because we're looking back. And that's not who we are. See, the more we look back on the decisions that we've made, the more Sharon looks back on a time in her life where she has missed it, the more time she's spending away from God. Because it says in the Bible that those who look back aren't fitting for the kingdom. And that's not to be harsh. It's just when you're looking back, you're missing what God's doing ahead of you. When you're looking back, you're not moving forward. When you're looking back, you're looking at your mess-ups, which God has already redeemed you from. God has already lifted you higher than your biggest mistake. He's already loved you through it. But the longer you look back on who you were and say, you know what, I'm, I'm not the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm getting there. I'll get there. I promise I'll get there, God. Just give me some time. The more you say that, the more you're missing hearing God say, you already are. You already are my righteousness. You already are my children. You already are worth all of this because of Christ. Christ already dwells in you. It doesn't matter what's happened. What matters is where you're going. What matters is what you're looking at. What matters is ahead and not behind. The longer you focus and try to fix the mistakes that you've made, the longer you're pushing off God and his purposes. Because who you were is not who you are. As I was praying, I wrote down, anything making you feel unworthy is a veil trying to come between you and God. And it says in 2 Corinthians that we do not have veiled face. Let me, let me flip there. JD, I don't think I gave this to you, and I'm really sorry. But in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 12, I'm just going to read it. Therefore, having such hope, we use great boldness in our speech and are not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel would not look intently at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because it is removed in Christ. So back with Moses, when Moses came down and he had the glory of God, the glory of God was so great that Moses had to put something over himself because the goodness of God radiated over him in such a way that people just could not be around him because they were not able to exist near that sort of level of glory. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the, nope, skipped a couple of chapters right there. We're just going to go back. But to this day, where whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But here's what's important. Not that that's not important, but here's, here's the point I'm trying to get to is what I'm meaning. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
Whenever you turn to God and submit yourself to God, God lifts the veil that has been blocking you from receiving the fullness and the glory of God so that you can look face to face with Christ. That's the promise that we have. And so whenever we feel disconnected or unworthy or anything like that, it's Satan that's crept in and has tried to put something over us, between us and God, so that we're trying, we try not to look at him. We're too ashamed. It's like if I, if I had done something to Nicole and I had offended Nicole and I knew Nicole loved me and she knew I loved her but I had hurt her, my flesh would want to turn away and hide myself from her because my heart would feel so sad that I had hurt her at all. And that's Satan. That right there is Satan coming in and saying, no, you need to turn away from the one who loves you. You need to turn away from the one who's going to give you freedom, has already made you righteous, has already redeemed you to the fullness of God. You need to turn away because you're dirty and you're broken and you're gross. And that is not God. What's God is even if I've offended Nicole, I look at her, I repent, and I receive the love that she has for me because that's God. And that's what happens when we turn to God. When we refuse to let Satan block us from that relationship with God, when we refuse to let that fear, to let that feeling of unworthiness creep in, and we continue to turn toward God and say, I missed it, I'm sorry, the veil is still gone. You still get to have that relationship with God. He's redeemed you from it. He forgives you from it. You get to move on past from it and keep going forward. See, God's never going to pull and put anything between you and God. There's never going to be a time where God's like, okay, try again. Okay, try again. Oh, can you see me? Nope. Try again. Can you see me a little bit? Nope. He's never going to hide himself from you. He's given all that he is and all that he has for you right now so that you can keep pressing in, so that you can feel and receive his love more. It's never going to be a fact that he loves you more than he does right now. Deb is never going to be able to earn the love of God more than the love of God that I have. He loves us the same and he loves us with a richness and a depth that goes beyond anything we can think of even when we've missed it. So what we have to do is we have to purpose ourselves to not let the enemy steal our joy, to not let the enemy steal our identity by making us look back. If I've missed it here, okay, God forgive me, let's move forward. I'm not going to keep looking back and dwelling on that time five years ago that I missed it and woe is me because I'm such a horrible person because God doesn't do that. He casts our sins as far as the east is from the west. It's over and it's done because we're a new creation right now. We were a new creation the minute that we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Yeah. And something that's really just stuck in me since I heard Pastor Tracy say it in the teaching that I have is that if God has called you a new creature, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, if God's called you new it means that you don't have any trace of the old left in you. None. Who you were is dead. 
what you've done is dead. It's gone. It's over with. All that's in front of you is future and hope and a promise and a purpose and goodness and life and love. That's what's ahead of you. It's like trying to put the new wine in the old wineskin. You can't do it because the old doesn't go with the new anymore. The old is passed away. All things have become new. The old is done. So we need to joyfully take hold of the future that God's given us and believed. I'm loved. I'm pretty. I am worthy. I am righteous. I am a child of the king. My, for, my sins have been forgiven. My past is forgotten. My sins are as cast as far as the east is from the west. There's no crossing them. I am new. I am God's. And I have a purpose. So we're going to get into some questions and... I'm going to not let my answers make me laugh because I wrote down my own answers and that was wrong. Um, <laughs> if you could throw up Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was the Apostle Paul persuaded of? That nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. And see, it goes into 2 Corinthians 5. It says in there that our ministry as disciples is to hold the office of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is that the world doesn't understand that their sins are no longer being held against them. The world doesn't get that you're a new per <coughs> Sorry, that you're a new person. I need some water. The world doesn't understand that it's possible that that level of forgiveness is accessible to them. What they've had experience with is people who hold grudges, people who continue to look at their past. And that's not who God is. That's not what his love is. Nothing and no one can separate us from that kind of love. Nothing. Nothing you've ever done, nothing you'll ever do, nothing that comes your way will ever be able to separate you from the love of God. And then question two says, when I was in Bible college, I never went to Bible college, so this is Pastor Don still, I had a professor who passed out some notes that stated, justification is the judicial act whereby God declares righteous anyone who believes not makes righteous. So, Let's leave that there. As I studied the scriptures for myself, I became convinced that justification is a gift of righteousness that makes you righteous in God's sight. It makes you righteous. Not just, eh, you're, you're okay. But it makes you righteous. If you could throw up Romans 5.19. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Even so, through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. So he gives an A, B, or C, and it says, through Jesus, Christ's, oh, through Jesus Christ's obedience of keeping the law and going to the cross, many will be declared righteous, thought to be righteous, or made righteous. 
made righteous. You're made righteous. It's not some people think you are. It's not that I get up here and declare that Paige Emerson is the most righteous person in the world. It's that you actually are made righteous. You are righteous. That's who you are. That's what you have in you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Colossians 1, 21 through 22. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. Ephesians 1.6 In the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And I'm going to actually read it. You don't have to throw it up, J.D. I'm going to read it in um, the KJV. To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted. You're accepted. That's who you are. You're accepted by God. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything for it. It just is. Amen. And now I'm going to go off course because that's why I feel the Holy Spirit telling me to do. 2 Corinthians 5. J.D., if you'll throw up verse 16. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 14. You don't have to put it up. For the love of God controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And this verse, I, it just like hit me like a train last night. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. No one. No one. Whether they love God or whether they don't love God, we don't recognize anyone according to their flesh. And I'm going to do some English major things, but if you're reading, there's a semicolon there, which means that it's a separate sentence. It's a secondary thought that ties in, but then the the same thought continues in verse 17. So I'm going to stop reading verse 16. At there, I'm going to reread it and then continue into the same thought that Paul has. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. So new things have come to people who have accepted Christ. But even if they haven't accepted Christ, we're not to be referring to people by their mistakes, by their mess ups, by where they've lost it and where they've gone off track. We're to focus on them being the new creation, even if they're not there yet. We're to look at them through the promise of who they can be and pray it into existence for them. Love them, just love on them so that that can become a reality. 
I'm not to look at Rachel and remember that five years ago she burned a cake that ended up burning a fire on her stove and whatever, and that's not going to happen. I'm not prophesying. But I'm not supposed to look at her mess-ups. I'm supposed to go to her house knowing Rachel Bivens can cook like nobody's business, and I'm going to have one heck of a meal here. I'm to look at the promise that people hold within them. And see, that's where our flesh tries to get us to focus on the natural. If you focus on the natural that you live in, then your coworkers are going to drive you up a wall day in, day out, no question. If you focus on the natural, your family, you're going to want to punch them all in the face at some point or another. If you focus on the natural, your spouse, you're going to want to rip their hair out during the times that they miss it, during the times where they've gone off track. But that's not what I'm supposed to be looking at. If George messes up, or if I mess up for George, he's not to look at me as that person. He's to look at me with the promise that exists within me. That's how we're to look at the world. We're not supposed to see it as this doom and gloom situation. We're not to look at politics and be like, well, it's either crazy A or crazy B, but it's going to be crazy and awful one way or another. We're supposed to see the promise that God has. We're supposed to be believing the best in all situations. We're supposed to be looking past what's in front of us and look deeper into the spirit realm. Praise God, I have had people in my life that, has, that have done this for me. Because when I've been at my most broken, praise the Lord, I had Pastor Brian and Pastor Nicole who could see past the lies and the mess-ups and the hurts and the tears and the dirt that was all over me to see the jewel that existed within me, to see the victory that I had within myself. And not just me, but all of you. Because I can guarantee that we have all missed it, that we have all been broken, that we have all had mess-ups, and praise the Lord that he's given us leaders who can see past that. Praise the Lord that we're in a body that's going to encourage you even when you've hurt someone, even when you've broken, even, it doesn't matter what it is. We're going to love you through it because that's what the word says to do. The word says that we are not to concentrate on the flesh. We are not to concentrate on what was, but we're to stare ahead. Isaiah says that we are to be beholding the new things that are coming. New things are coming when we stop looking back and start looking forward. Hebrews 10.14 For by one offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. So how long have you been perfected for? Until you sin again? Until you go to church? Or forever? Forever. You're perfected forever. You're perfected forever. You're perfected forever. You're perfected forever. Forever, 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 forever. You are and have the righteousness of God through Christ on you in you, surrounding you. That's who you are. Hebrews 10, 15 through 17. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws upon their heart and on their mind I will write them. He then says, and their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. no more. 
I will remember? No more will God remember your sins and your lawless deeds. That promise alone is enough to make me want to shout and jump around this building. God doesn't remember when I've messed up. How awesome is that? God doesn't remember when you've messed up. How awesome is that? Stink, I'm going to preach myself happy this morning. I'm just telling you. Romans 6, 1 through 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that the grace may increase? (laughs) And this is where I'm laughing at myself because I put down, (laughs) no, that's stupid. May it never be. It's okay to laugh at that. It's fine. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? That's like, it's like what we were saying before, mixing the old the new wine and the old wine skin. It's contrary to who you are. See, you don't have to keep messing up so that God's glory can shine through you. That's actually contradictory to him. You can't keep increasing the kingdom if you're just living in a world of sin. You're not being productive. You're not producing fruit. God forgives you from that. He will redeem you from that and he'll use that to further the kingdom. But if you just choose to keep allowing yourself to sin and to miss it because in some twisted world, and I've heard this in the church too, not this one, but the more you sin, the more God can glorify it and the more God can work through it. Well, that's a bunch of bull honky. Yeah, God can do that, but that's not your purpose. Your purpose isn't to be this person who misses it all of the time and who just continues to disregard obeying the word and living for God. Your purpose is to put the old things to bed. It says in the word that when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's what this verse is talking about. When you stepped up to God and you received him, you became his child, but you became an empowered man and woman for the king of kings, the most high God, the great I am. That's who you are. You're not a child anymore. Put it to bed and let God work through you. Hebrews 9, 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his Christ's own blood. He entered the holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. What kind of redemption did Jesus obtain for us? Eternal. Romans 8.33 Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. And so the question says, name someone who can bring a charge, an accusation, Against God's chosen ones? No one. No one. No one can take away who you are. No one can make you unrighteous. No one can take away the glory that God has instilled within you. No one can take away the gift of his Holy Spirit. No one can take away the fact that you're God's child and he loves you and he sent his son to die for you because he loves you. Not because you messed up, but because he loves you, period. The end, I could literally mic drop and walk out that door because that's it. That's the end. That's all there is to it. He loves you. Romans 8.34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes. Rather, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? 
Name someone who can, who can condemn God's people. No one. Same thing. No one can condemn God's people except for Christ. I heard that. But Christ won't because Christ loves you because that would contradict the sacrifice that he made. Christ has the power within him to do that, but his will and the very essence of who he is is I love my brothers and sisters. I love the people that I bestowed power to. I love the people I died for. They will always be made right through me. Romans 8.35 Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who can separate a Christian from God's love? No one. No one, no one, no one. There's a reason that this question is being asked three times in three different ways because he wants you to get it. No one can separate you from the love that God has for you. No one. And then Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And the last question is, what's the conclusion of the discipleship class? Throw it back up, J.D., if you would. That you're his favorite. That God is for you. And it doesn't matter what looks like is against you. It doesn't matter if your boss at work just seems to have it out for you. It doesn't matter if your family has been driving you up the wall. It doesn't matter if someone has hurt you. It doesn't matter if all of a sudden your bank account looks empty. It doesn't matter what the world tries to stack up against you to try and put a veil between you and God. No one can actually be against you because God is for you. You can call on the great I am and he will intercede on your behalf through Christ. He's already done it. You can call on the name of Jesus and let solutions happen because you're loved, because the righteousness that's inside of you wants to get out of you, because the glory of God is on you and wants to free the people that exist around you because what God wants more than anything is for us to tap in to who we are so that we can look at the world see where they're lacking and bring them back to God because he loves them too just as much that's who you are you're a vessel for God to use because he loves you to bring in those who he loves that don't know it Everybody will just bow their heads real quick. Father, right now, we just come to you and humble ourselves before you. We apologize and we repent not just out of sorrow, not just because we feel like we've missed it with you and we feel bad and we're going to do it again, but we repent. We choose right now to make this a moment that defines us, to make this a moment where we give you the cares. And right now, I want you to think of a care that you've been carrying on you. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's seemingly big or small or little. What matters is if there's something that you've been holding on to. What matters is if there's something that you feel has disconnected you from God, I want you to think of that thing. 
And Father, if someone can't think of something, I just pray that by the Holy Spirit that you will bring it into their mind if there's anything that's keeping them from you fully, myself included. And I want you to just take a minute. And when you have that thing, I want you to make a heart decision right now. Right now is a decision point. Right now, the Lord says, I love you. You're my child. I sent my son for you. I sent my son because I love you. You are enough. Right now, where you are, you're enough that I love you with the fullness of who I am. And I see that you've been holding on to this weight. I see that you've been keeping this from me because you felt ashamed. I see that you've been holding on to this because you're scared to face me. And I want you to know I love you. I love you. I love you. And you were never meant to hold on to this. It's mine. Give the care to me. And I will take it from you. And I will handle it. And I will make a way where there seems like there is no way. I will make a way for you like nothing you've ever imagined. I will clear all of your paths. Just give it to me. And so right now, if that's you, if that's what you've been doing, give the care to the Lord. Right now, just pray in your seats, pray where you are, and just say something like, Father, I give this care to you. This care is not mine. This care is yours. This burden is not mine. This burden is yours. I don't want it anymore. I want to be free to move, to run, to jump, to do all that you've called me to do, and I give it to you. There is freedom right now that is tangible that you can reach out and grab as soon as you let it go. Open up your hands, let the weight go, and let freedom come in right now in the name of Jesus. Freedom be in the areas where it has not been before. Peace be where there has seemed like to be waves crashing around. Peace be Fear gone, burdens lifted, freedom now in the name of Jesus. And it's that simple. Father, we just love you so much. And we thank you that you have such great, huge, wonderful, powerful plans for your children. And we thank you that you do not delight to see us with any sort of weight or burden upon us, but that you want to take everything, take our past, take all that we were and get rid of it. Cast it as far away from us as possible and forget it so that you can do a new thing through us. We love you and we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Amen. Amen. Do you have anything, sir? Amen. Um, did you get something out of that? Yeah. Good, good. What I love is how, especially right now, these classes are going right along with righteousness and the law of love versus the law of all the do's and do nots. and. Yep. It's just going to continue at 11. We're going to be talking about some of the same scripture, some of the same stuff, and it's going to be awesome. But this is, this is what I saw, and I really want you to pay attention to this, is along the lines of everything that you just said, a lot of times what the devil does, we saw this in Reset, is if you have a picture of Jesus, he comes in there and he tries to make Jesus, he tries to make God look different. 
You know, he might put some mean eyebrows. So you always see Jesus as looking at you as you're not good enough. You know, you're not pretty. Your your life is ugly. All that kind of stuff. So we see Jesus, but like that until we go into the Word, and then it's like we take you know take that eraser and actually see Jesus for who He is. Yeah. Well, along those same lines, another thing that the devil in your flesh constantly tries to do is, if you're looking at a mirror, all these things that the world has said to you, all the things that you have believed, you might as well have taken that same marker and, and drawn over your picture, and you start seeing yourself not as God sees you, but as the devil wants you to see you, which is in that place of condemnation. And so again, take these scriptures, revisit them, see yourself the way God sees you, and just take that eraser and begin to see him in the beauty of the perfection that he has created you to be. Amen. Amen. Receive it that way and start to see as I go into that word, he renews my mind and my sight for myself, my sight for him starts to be different. Now everything looks different because I've allowed the word to wash over me and to wash over my mind and receive the fullness of his promise. Amen.